I heard someone in a meeting say, the great thing is that there are no experts in Al-Anon. What does this mean and why is it a great thing? Aren't we all experts on our own stories? Welcome to episode 343 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Christy, Nancy, Julia, Penelope, Pat, Bonnie, and Jersey. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Christy, Nancy, Julia, Penelope, Pat, Bonnie, and Jersey for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them, take what you like, and leave the rest. We hope you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. A couple readings to open with today. First, from the book, How al Works, Chapter 16, titled 12 Traditions. We do 12th-step work whenever we carry the Al-Anon message to others. As a fellowship of equals, we have a tremendous amount of experience, strength, and hope to share with one another and with those outside our fellowship who still struggle with the effects of another's drinking. We who know the loneliness and frustration of living with alcoholism can provide an extraordinary form of help and support. As experts on living with alcoholism by virtue of our own experience, we help each other by sharing what we have felt and what we have learned rather than by giving advice. By sharing what we have learned with those who know little about our program but a great deal about the desperation of an alcoholic environment, we strengthen our own recovery while helping others. So as a fellowship, we do not look to any professionals for our answers. We look to each other under the guidance of a power greater than ourselves. Second reading is from A Daily Reader, Hope for Today, December 18th. One benefit of Al-Anon I rarely hear mentioned is the wide variety of people we meet. We are blessed to hear so many speak from their hearts, which reminds us that we are not so different after all. Not only do we learn tolerance for dissimilar folks, we learn to seek their wisdom because they offer us valuable perspectives we might not consider on our own. I never realized the true value of this benefit until I went on a vacation alone in a different country. The resort where I stayed attracted people from all over the world. Dinner was served European style, which meant solo travelers like me ate with whoever was sitting there at the time. At tables reminiscent of my Alana meetings back home, I encountered strangers who eventually became friends. At times, I felt nervous about starting conversations, but I reminded myself of the practice I had already gained at Alana meetings. I let it begin with me many times, asking people about their homelands and occupations. Often, this was enough to spark great conversations. I learned much from a great many people and brought comfort to one particular person. I even met a gentleman who, although he did not declare membership, knew about Al-Anon and its purpose. If I hadn't had so many conversations with so many, quote, strangers around the Al-Anon circles, I might not have felt so comfortable or made so many new friends in this faraway land. The thought for the day, Al-Anon meetings help me become open to people who are different from me. I'd like to open with a voicemail from Deborah. Hi, Spencer. This is Deborah from Florida. So, there are no experts in Al-Anon. What a disappointment that was to me when I first came into Al-Anon. All I wanted was an expert who could tell me how to save my son. 
And little did I know that I needed saving just as much, if not even more, than my son did. In addition to hoping there were experts in meetings, I, I still had this delusional thinking that I was an expert. I just thought I needed a little bit of training, and then I, then I could go save my son. That's not what happened. <laughs> it doesn't turn out that that's the way it works. So little by slowly, as we say in the room, what I learned is that the expertise each member had was their own journey, their own healing, and their sharing of their personal experience. Once I quit looking for an expert and began listening, I realized that I must go on my own journey. I need to heal myself. I have to work my program. These perfectly imperfect people had wisdom, empathy, kindness, and they were willing to share it all with me. And that was amazing. It's the only place anywhere, despite all the professionals I'd been to, that I found that. And I didn't have to find experts in Al-Anon. I did find incredible role models who had found peace and serenity. And I also did not become an expert myself, at least on solutions for my son in Al-Anon. I did find knowledge about the disease, tools to survive and thrive while living with those affected by it. And I found ever-deepening faith and spirituality. Now, as a perfectly imperfect human, non-expert, when I share my story and Al-Anon journey, invariably someone connects with me and says it touched them, it validated them, it helped them, or just gives them comfort to know they are not alone. And that is just such a gift. It's the gift I've received and it's the gift I can now give for those who it connects with. So I just love this program. I love your podcast. Uh, thank you so much for doing this and thanks for all that you do. Take care. What a disappointment indeed. Thanks, Deborah. The first reading that I open with is from the section about Tradition 8, which says Al-Anon 12-step work should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. I didn't know of this tradition when I came into Al-Anon. If I had known of it, I wouldn't understand why it's important. But what I did know after, I think, even my first meeting was that there were people in that room, who understood my situation, who had walked in my shoes, and they weren't telling me what to do. And a lot of people had told me what to do. People had told me to come to Elanon, and I was resistant to that. I thought, I'm not the person with the problem. But when I heard people sharing their reactions, their tribulations, their experience living with alcoholism. That spoke to me in a way that the experts at the treatment centers just couldn't match. Carol also sent us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer and guest. This is Carol from Massachusetts. In responding to there are no experts in Al-Anon, I definitely have an experience of the benefits of this. When I hear someone else's story and other stories over and over, I can really see that we can fall at any time. And 
in the situation of falling, it's working the program that picks me up, not someone else doesn't pick me up. I have to pick myself up by working my program. And I may need others in that process. And even their kindness or their warmth or their empathy, but that's not what picks me up. What picks me up when I fall is working my program. And that doesn't really require an expert. That's about me and my relationship with my program and how I work it and my trust in that. Thank you. Carol expresses that her experience is uniquely her experience and that she doesn't need an expert to tell her about how to work her program. She hears other people's stories, other people's sharings, and identifies with them, connects with them, and is able to pick from them something for herself. When I think about what might be some problems arising if we considered some of the people in the room, some of the people at the meeting to be the experts that we all needed to listen to, what would be the dangers of that? I mean, one is if somebody who is put forward as an expert, whether by themselves or by other people, says something that I don't agree with, but they're saying it from their position as an expert, it sounds like advice or whatever, and I don't like it, I'm going to not only reject that, but maybe other things that I hear that really could be helpful to me, that if I heard them in a different way, I would pick them up and use them. And I think a second aspect of it relates to our tradition of anonymity in the way that and I don't remember where this reading is. It might be in, in how Elanon works, but it, it talks about if we take somebody and elevate them, put them on a pedestal, and then they fail in some way, that breaks our confidence. We're potentially likely to throw away everything we ever learned from that person. And that only hurts me if I do that. If this person that I've been upholding, this person that has been my idol, stumbles, am I going to throw away everything, the good that I had gotten from them because of that stumble? Kate sent us an email. Hi, Spencer. I'm writing to you about the topic, There Are No Experts in Al-Anon. This phrase is important for me because before I became to Al-Anon, I thought I was an expert in a lot of things my husband's mental health, my children's schooling, anyone's diet, exercise, nutrition, driving, and parenting, just to name a few. I doled out advice to anyone who asked or didn't ask. When they didn't take my advice, I was irritated, and when my advice didn't work out, I was ashamed. Funnily enough, it never occurred to me to just quit giving advice until I came to Al-Anon. For me, the difference between giving advice and sharing my own experience, strength, and hope is a subtle but important shift. When I share my experience, strength, and hope, I am talking about myself and what worked for me. 
Some people may hear my experience and decide to try what I shared for themselves. Some people may hear my experience and think, there's no way I'm doing that. And some people may hear my experience and take the parts of it that work for them. When I share my experience, I'm not responsible for the decisions other people make. I can share my experience with someone and let the situation go. The other thing I have learned in Al-Anon, which seems related to this topic, is to only give advice when someone asks for it. Before coming to Al-Anon, I didn't realize that sometimes people shared their problems or worries with me because they simply wanted to be heard. When people shared their problems with me, I would frequently respond by telling them what exactly they should do. What I've learned in Al-Anon is I can say to someone, wow, that sounds really tough, scary, stressful, frustrating. Sometimes I will follow up with my children by saying, are you telling me this because you just needed to be heard, or are you telling me this because you want me to give you advice? When my kids learned that they could tell me about uncomfortable feelings without me immediately telling them how to resolve the issue, I believe they started coming to me with their thoughts and feelings more often. Alanon has taught me how to preserve and grow in relationship with the people I love. I have learned the best way to do this is to treat them with dignity and respect. If I want to be in relation with someone in which we are equals, then I have to behave as though I am their equal, not an expert. Best, Kate. I love that Kate turns this around and approaches it from the point of view of someone who, in the past, acted as an expert and unpacks both the harm that acting as an expert did and how she learned in recovery to act in a different way, to relate to the people around her, to relate to her own children in a different way. How much healthier that that is for her and for them. And I love this. Are you telling me this because you just need to be heard? Or are you telling me because you want me to give you advice? That is such a wonderful question. And when my kids learned they could tell me about uncomfortable feelings, I believe they started coming to me with their thoughts and feelings more often. That, wow, so true. If I unburden myself to someone about a situation and they immediately start telling me how to fix it, that might turn me off. And I actually had that experience once in a meeting where I shared what was going on in my life and another person at the table immediately spoke up. And the way I remember it, their response opened with the words, what you need to do is. And that just, it turned me off. I'm trying to think it repelled me. I never went back to that meeting because of that one person acting as an expert about my situation, which all they knew about was what I had shared for a few minutes and presuming to understand what I needed to do. Had they said something like, wow, that sounds rough, or wow, I was in a similar situation, and I did this, and it worked in this way, I would have received that message so much more easily, I think. I still might not have taken it as something for myself, but I wouldn't have felt put down. I wouldn't have been pushed away. Mark called with a voicemail. Spencer, uh, it's Mark. I'm responding to the potential topic that there are no experts in Al-Anon. It just occurred to me that it is experience, strength, and hope, and not expertise 
strength and hope that is the basis of this program. And so many of the lessons I've learned from other people comes from their, you know, their sharing, not their triumphs and their transcendent insights, but their experiences of negative things and how they're able to endure and to persevere and to learn from them. And I do learn from example, and I've applied that to my own <laughs> experiences and, and setbacks and things like that. And it has helped tremendously. And the other thing about this topic, about non-professionalism and there being no experts, it does highlight for me that this is at base of a spiritual program. And it is ineffable and unquantifiable in that way. And that's part of the magic of it and the miracle of it is because we come together and can share, we don't have to undergo every single mistake and pain that that's out there for us. We can learn our lessons without having to suffer in that way. The other thing I like about this topic is this idea that every person has something to contribute to the program, particularly newcomers. I know some people have the idea that newcomers should be seen and not heard initially, but that hasn't been my experience. They often have a lot to teach myself, certainly, but I think a lot of people in the room, not just as reminders, too. Sometimes they have fresh and unique insight, and that's part of why I, I keep coming back and part of why I keep tuning in. And thanks again for your service. Picking out a little bit here that touched me, that's part of the magic of it and the miracle of it. Because we come together and can share, we don't have to undergo every single mistake and pain that's out there for us. The magic and the miracle of the program comes in the sharing. It comes in the, this is what happened to me. This is how I felt. This is what I tried. This is how that worked. And that is so powerful, that sharing of experience, strength, and hope. It certainly was for me in helping me to learn new ways of being. I remember... A person in a meeting, I think fairly early in my program, maybe in the first year, I don't know, talking about how she had always sought other people's approval and participation in the things that she wanted to do. And that if she didn't get that approval and, and participation, then maybe she wouldn't do it. She said, I like to go to movies. My family, not so much. And now I understand that it's okay for me to go to a movie by myself because it's something I want to do. And if they don't want to do it, then it's okay for them to not come. And it's okay for me to go anyway. And that just lit this light bulb in my head. I don't have to get everybody's buy-in to something that I want to do. It's sufficient for me to want it. I like back when I could to go to live music. Other people in my family, that's not their thing. And I can remember, before I learned this lesson from somebody sharing their own experience, I would say, hey, I want to go listen to this person singing at this coffee shop. And the response would be, well, I'm not interested. And I'm like, oh, okay, then I guess I'm not going. And now I can say, no, you know what? I want to go listen to this person who's singing at this coffee shop. And even though the response is, no, I'm not interested, 
I can still go. I got that from somebody sharing their own experience. I did not get that from somebody saying, you don't have to seek everybody's approval before you do something. You can just do it. You hear the difference? I learned this thing myself, and it has had this great outcome for me. No, you should do this. They sound very different. They're emotionally very different. Got a voicemail from Pat. Hey, Spencer. This is Pat from the West Coast. I just wanted to give a little comment on the topic idea of there are no experts in Al-Anon. I think your little blurb that you sent out actually says a whole lot of it. But when I think about that, I think how important to me, no experts in Al-Anon starts with the fact that we don't use our last name, that we don't identify ourselves with our profession. Sometimes that sneaks out over time, but that's so important for us to be able to come into those rooms and be equals. And I think that's what the whole concept of no experts does. It really, truly puts us on equal footing. And what anyone has to say has an equal possibility of being valid for our experience and our needs and our learning. You said or mentioned that idea that we are the only ones that are experts on ourselves, which is sort of true, but honestly, the other side of that, that's kind of oxymoronic because at the same time, we say what got us here, our best thinking got us to the rooms of Al-Anon, and we often refer to wanting to stop or sink and thinking that our best thinking got us there. So that, that doesn't quite fit for me because that's really true. It was that circular, narrow-visioned thinking that got me to Al-Anon, and it is, it is the experience, strength, and hope of everybody else that opened my eyes to being able to think about the world in such a different way. It's not just the program. It's that there's this incredible sum total of individuals with remarkable wisdom and it, it's fascinating the distinct specificity and differences between all of our experiences and then you look at it and underlying it all are some very core human experiences and principles that when you apply them to anybody's life they actually work it's amazing and that goes to the point where i have certainly sat in the rooms and not so much lately because I had this experience when I was newer to Al-Anon where I would hear somebody speaking. Maybe it was somebody who's a regular attendee at a meeting that I went to regularly who seemed to drone on and on or not have a point or not have much of value to say. And as I was saying, someone who's, when they're sharing, didn't speak to me at all and actually got me off. I can remember a couple of folks where over time suddenly I found that I was really listening to them with interest and I found great value in what they had to say. And maybe because their way of speaking or putting things was so different from my own. But, you know, I think the real value in Al-Anon of there being no expert is that it, it opens us to the broadest possible range of experiences and wisdom and knowledge and love and application of the program 
an application of just being human, trying to grow and be our best people. Anyway, just <laughs> thank you. Good topic and, and absolutely essential to the program. Thanks. Bye. Pat speaks of a couple of things. Well, Pat speaks of a lot of things, but there's a couple of things again that stood out for me. Not everybody who shares their experience is speaking to my experience. Not everybody who shares their strength and hope is speaking to a problem, a difficulty, something that I need strength or hope with. But because everybody can speak equally, everybody can share their own experience. I'm much more likely to hear one that I connect with. I listen to TED Talks, and TED Talks are amazing sometimes, and sometimes they really strike me, and sometimes somebody says, oh man, you got to listen to this talk, it's amazing. And I go and listen to it, and I'm like, eh, okay. So if all we had in a meeting was a speaker who got up and said whatever it was they had to say, and maybe it would be amazing, but if it was the same person every time, it would be amazing for some people, and it would be meh or blah, yuck for some people. But because we all have a voice, because we can all share our experience, strength, and hope, I can hear from the people whose experience touches mine, and I can let go of the people whose experience doesn't touch mine, even if that person totally said exactly what you need to hear. Again, that's one of the reasons that I love having all your voices here, because what I say is what's right for me. What Pat says is right for Pat. What Mark says is right for Mark, and so on. So thank you to everybody. I want to close with the uh, quote from that reading from Hope for Today on December 16th. What I love about Al-Anon meetings is that I am getting close to people who normally I would not be able to know so well. Walls are disappearing, and love and community are growing and expanding. I had fun picking music for this episode. Music about learning, music about being or not being an expert. The first song that I wanted to highlight here is by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, titled Teach Your Children little quote that I found on the interwebs about this. Speaking of teaching children, Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young wrote the first verse of Teach Your Children as adult-to-adult advice. But the last verse reverses the situation now the children are being asked to teach their parents. For me, that speaks to the way in which we teach each other, that sometimes the person who is brand new in the program can say something that strikes me just as strongly as somebody who's been in the program for years and years. So this last verse, teach your parents well that their children's hell will slowly go by and feed them on your dreams, the one they pick, the one you'll know them by. Don't you ever ask them why if they told you you will cry, so just look at them and sigh and know they love you. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery recently? The first thing that that comes to my mind when I think about recovery in my life is it's that time of year 
when at work I effectively do a fourth step on my work gear and then do a fifth step with my boss where I share the exact nature of both my wins and my losses. And we talk about what we want to change. I guess that becomes step six and seven, I guess, something like that. If I want to cast it in that way. I used to say, yeah, I had that meeting with my boss where he did my fifth step for me and told me the exact nature of my wrongs. One of the things I like about the company that I work for is that we do, I think, a pretty good job of being people-focused. This year, this process is a little bit different. In the past, we've been asked to write a self-evaluation, write our own fourth step, and our boss would ask some coworkers, peers, managers, underlings, depending, to contribute, which meant that they got to write a little fourth step about me. And then my boss would write his evaluation of me, and then we'd get together and we'd talk about it and about where we saw me similarly and where we saw differences and talk about what I might do to improve the areas in which I'm weak and, of course, keep on doing the things where I'm strong. This year, for the contributors' part, we're doing something different. We'll see how this works out, but we have been asked, each of us, to ask two other people that we work with in some way to have a feedback conversation with us. And we've been given a couple of questions to start that conversation that focus on on positive rather than negative, I guess is, is one way to look at it. The one question, I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but the one question is basically, what has been working well for us working together? What do we want to keep on doing because it's working well? And the second question is, how could I do better in the way that I work with you? I had that conversation with a couple of coworkers, one effectively a peer and one whom I supervise. And it was an interesting experience. It was a little bit uncomfortable, I think, for both of us. But I think it, it was helpful. And I'm supposed to take what I learned in those conversations and weave it into my self-evaluation that then my boss and I will talk about. I haven't done that part yet. I also was asked by two members of my team to do their feedback conversation. And one of them I have some difficulties with. And I had to spend some time thinking ahead about how to express the areas in which I feel this person needs to improve in that second question to try to express them in a positive way. I think I might have done the, oh, what's it called? The something sandwich where I started with, here's a strength of yours. I really appreciate this strength of yours. Here's an area in which I see you needing to improve. And then here's another strength. Here's another thing I appreciate about. Because this person does have strengths. It's important for me to recognize 
their strengths. But I think it's also important to provide that feedback of saying, here's a place where I would like to see you working on acting differently. And here are some potential ways in which you might be able to get there. Because I am, in a very real way, I, I also act as a mentor for the younger, not necessarily younger in years, but at least younger in experience at the job, members of the team. <sighs> Boy, yeah, using program principles in there, I think really made that easier in both conversations to be able to say thank you when somebody said something really nice about me rather than ah shucks, uh, no, that you don't need to say that, just to say thank you. That's important. Something I learned here. I think that's where I'm going to stop for uh, for today. Alina shared on a couple of topics. She shared on spiritual practice, and she shared on Tradition 11. Hi, my name's Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 94, um, which was entitled Spiritual Practice. I guess it talked also about meditation, and I know that the last maybe almost two years I've been doing meditation with a meditation app in the mornings, every morning. And that's like a ritual for me. And I've been pretty consistent. I look forward to it, I guess, before I even start doing anything with my day, before I do too much, I like to have just that quiet time and that moment for myself. And it's really helpful. I know also if I'm feeling overwhelmed or something, I can select a meditation that applies to whatever I'm dealing with. And that's always helpful too. As far as a spiritual practice, I guess I never really, never really had one before I came into Al-Anon. I mean, I used to pray to God, please fix this and do this for me. And now my prayers are a little bit different. I ask for strength and guidance and help walk with me through this. I know that he already has a plan and he knows what I need. And sometimes it's not always what I want, but I know in the end that I'll be okay. I'm grateful to the program because I guess without it, I would maybe not have a spiritual practice or the meditation. I don't think I would have ever thought of doing anything like that without Al-Anon. But I know that it does help. I know I need to focus a little more on praying for things and I haven't really started a God box or anything like that and putting my ideas in that. And in a way, it sounds something that my sponsor suggested, and it sounds pretty, pretty cool to do and try. I guess I just need to get up and do it. Anyways, I appreciate the topic. It's something that I really need to maybe focus on a little bit more and work on. But I think it's a, just a good way to keep my serenity. And like it's been said before, practice makes progress. So I, I like that statement too. So thank you. I wanted to share on episode 95, which was on tradition 11. Tradition 11 is our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, and TV. We need guard with special care, the anonymity of all AA members. I like the topics on the traditions because I don't really focus a lot on those. I don't know why. I'm always like diehard and focused on the steps. I actually almost, I completed step 11 and I need to go over that with my sponsor and then I'll do step 12 and then I definitely want to 
dive into the traditions and see what those are about. But the overview on this podcast was talking about, are you tired of being reminded of something which you know would be good for you, but you don't want to, and now giving in would feel odd? And do you ever wonder why some annoying people always have to emphasize where and how they get their stuff? This is a good one. I'm constantly, I I know what's good for me and I know that I should turn things over to God and that I'm not going to always get what I want. And that's difficult for me sometimes just because I want things in a certain way. I'm very organized and I'm always wanting things to happen a certain way. And I want to know the reasonings behind why things happen all the time. And so Al-Anon's taught me a lot about being patient and pausing and not really worrying about outcomes or or what's going to happen. I know recently I found out that somebody that I work with, um, really close with, I've worked with for a long time is going to retire and he's in an important position. And when I got hired on, I basically followed him to this new company. So we've been working now at our previous location. We were working together for 14 years. And then when he moved a month later, I moved just because of there was financial hardships with the job that we were currently at. And we just had to make some changes. And so I ended up working closely with him and we've been working together an additional almost nine years and it's come to the time where he's going to be retiring. And so there's a lot of change that's going to happen come in a few months, basically three months. And so I guess in the beginning I was panicking and wondering what's going to happen. And I really can't, I can think about it and then let it go. And it's been really good knowing that and knowing that I don't have to figure something out right now, whether I'm going to move on, stay where I'm at, or make some changes. There's a lot of choices that I have, and that's a good thing. So I just have to be patient and know that my higher power always takes care of me and is working for me, and I don't have to stress so much, even though it's hard not to worry at times. And I think that right now I'm at peace with it, and I'm sure that I can't say if next week I'm going to have a little anxiety about it, thinking about it. I'm going to try not to, but if it happens, I can deal with it. And I know that I can talk to my sponsor and talk to my Al-Anon friends and work through it. As far as people that are annoying that emphasize things like, I don't know. I think that it's okay to maybe brag about yourself. I guess it just depends on how somebody takes it. And I know that there are people out there that are truly want to put it out there and that's up to them. I really have no business taking their inventory or worrying about what they tell other people or what they want people to know. That's their business. Just like my business is mine. If I decide to share something among coworkers or friends, that's my business to do. And if I don't, then that's okay too. But back to the tradition itself, anonymity is really not only for the AA members, but for us too. And whatever we hear in the rooms or whatever we share is basically between, you can feel safe. In the beginning, when I first started sharing, I was hesitant 
but I do feel comfortable sharing and maybe I'm not fully open like I should be or would be, but it just depends. It depends on what company I'm in. Obviously I have a more intimate relationship with my husband or my qualifier or even my sponsor or an Al-Anon friend versus sharing in a, in a meeting or something like that. But I do try to express myself and how I'm feeling and how I'm working with the program to get through things that are bothering me. Or even if I'm having a good day, what got me there and what transpired. I think that's all I had to share on this topic, but I really appreciate the traditions. Like I said, it's something that I need to definitely work on and I hope to get to those soon. So thank you. Thank you, Alina, for your continuing sharing of your experience, strength, and hope. What came up for you as you're listening to episodes of The Recovery Show? I have an upcoming topic, I think, next week. That's our current tentative schedule, me and Eric. I'm going to talk about this statement, if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. What does that mean to you? How has recovery helped you to see some truth in this? And how is this a positive for you? Because it sounds negative. I'm not the problem. There is no solution. Well, damn, my loved one's the problem. So, shoot, there's nothing to fix. How has Al-Anon changed that for you? We do welcome your thoughts. Please join our conversation. Leave a voicemail or send an email with your feedback, your questions, your thoughts, your share. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. That number is open 24 hours a day. It's answered by a, a robot, uh, as it were. So call anytime. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or an email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic. There are no experts in Elanon or any of our upcoming topics, including if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And you guys keep sending me topic ideas. Um, thank you. Our website is therecovery.show. We have all the information about the show with notes for each episode, links to the readings and other things that we might talk about on the internet, videos for the music we chose and so on. Also have an email list uh, to which I send occasional emails with asking you to contribute for upcoming topics. Sometimes I might have a short thought or something to share with you that I'll send out that's been relatively infrequent between once and twice a month. So send me an email, put something in the subject line about email list, and that way I'll know that that's what you want. Yeah. Second song here was suggested by a listener who writes, Hi Spencer, prayers of protection for you and your family this season. This is a music offering for the No Experts podcast episode. The song is Storm Warning by Bonnie Raitt. Carol wrote, A big part of my recovery has been learning to ride out the storms and accept them when I see them coming. Thank you for your service. Thank you for the, the song suggestion. And just uh, a few lyrics. I think this is from the chorus. I got a feeling when the sun comes up, I'm going to wish I had a storm warning. I'm going to wish I had a sign. 
I'm going to wish I had a little heads up, a little leap way, a little more time. Some kind of radar system locked in on love. I got a feeling by the time the night finds the morning, I'm going to wish I had a storm warning. I think by listening to your experience, strength, and hope, that helps me develop that radar to have a storm warning sometimes. Some listener feedback here, some emails, some voicemails. Sasha left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. My name is Sasha. I just listened to your episode 293 on grieving. I forgot the title, but it was about grieving. And also, I think it was number 93 on the obsession. My request for maybe a future show is I'm new to Alalon. I am uh, married to an alcoholic. We are currently separated. And that trace of alcoholism comes narcissism. And so as a new Al-Anon member, I'm a codependent because I have been with a psychotherapist, so I realize I'm codependent. In my recovery process and in my healing journey, as I realized through the uh, the miracles that are very possible through sticking in the Al-Anon process, how, I guess my question is like, Dealing with a narcissist, how can I keep the focus on the program when my brain has been programmed for 12 years now, mixing with the alcoholism and the narcissism, that every time I'm doing a a step, because I'm on step one right now, I did buy the courage to change books and one day at a time, Al-Anon's book, but every time I read one of those, I keep reverting back to him. And so that is my question. How, how can one go into a healing process and really focus on oneself when you're dealing with, I don't know if it's a considered a personality disorder. I think it might be because codependency is. But how does one focus so hard when I want recovery so bad like myself? I don't want to be codependent, but at the same time, my brain is wired for alcoholism slash narcissism. And I feel like it's hindering in my steps to recover, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pressing forward. And uh, I did try to look in the search topics. I didn't see anything. So just curious if there will be a future episode on that as a person in recovery. Thank you so much, Spencer. I've enjoyed all the uh, the, uh, titles. I haven't had a chance to listen to them all, but I look forward to definitely scrolling through them, just pinpointing a thought that I have right now with the grief and the obsession part. Thank you so much, and uh, your show is phenomenal. Thank you again. Sasha, my experience here, how do I focus on myself when I'm dealing with another person's behavior that is difficult for me to see, that I would like them to change because I feel they're hurting themselves? There you go. There's There was my experience. My wife was drinking. I needed her to stop because she was hurting us. She was hurting the family. She was hurting herself. And I couldn't focus on myself because I was focused on her. And I came to Al-Anon and through listening to the experience, strength, and hope of people in the program through reading the literature, I began to be able to detach myself from her problems. There's a couple of episodes that we have on detachment. Episode 188, Detachment with Love. 
also an earlier episode on detachment, episode 12, might be helpful in hearing some experience, strength, and hope from people who have been there, not in the exact situation you are, but trying to understand how to bring the focus around to me instead of my loved one. Jill sent an email. Good afternoon. Just wanted to share about my experience in the period of isolation. I have thrived. I'm an introvert. I was always an introvert. I remember being a good and quiet child until I was 14 in an alcoholic home. I became a noisy introvert. If I have a topic or person I enjoy speaking to or about, I will open up and could go on for a while. During this isolation, my health has drastically improved. I've been working the whole time in an office setting in the corner, away from people, and it has helped so much. For years, people have treated me as if I was broken and needed to be extroverted. It would bring on major panic attacks that would send me into shame spirals and loss of mental and spiritual health. I haven't experienced this in this period of isolation, and now see I was never broken or need to be fixed. I can and do go out and be without people, which is what I've always loved to do. Living in Alaska, there is lots of space. To cope with my introversion at in-person meetings, I take my glasses off so I don't see the people in the rooms and feel my shares are more genuine because I'm not getting hung up on facial expressions or nodding. Zoom meetings are hard for me. I can't stand to see my face or the people sharing. So I listen to your podcast and it has been tremendous for my recovery. The tips you shared on Zoom meetings changed my perspective. Thank you, Jill D. in Alaska. Thanks for writing, Jill. I'm an extrovert, but I consider myself to be sort of a shy extrovert. Talking to a microphone, I know you're there, but I can't see you. It actually works pretty well for me. When I was attending in-person meetings, I noticed that usually when I'm sharing, I would be looking at the table. And often when other people are sharing, I would be sitting there with my eyes closed. And I think that is part of that discomfort. I challenged myself, particularly when I was sharing my story for a newcomer, to look up, to be open, to invite them into my experience by not closing myself away. And and I tell you, it's difficult for me. So I, I understand some of those feelings. I do. Sometimes in a Zoom meeting, I and I noticed a lot of people in Zoom meetings, they don't necessarily turn on their camera. Um, they might turn on their camera when they're sharing. They might not. And depending what device you're using for Zoom, if I'm using it on my phone, I can put it in what's called safe driving mode, which I don't even see any pictures of anybody. So that those sorts of things might be helpful if you're having trouble looking at people. Also make the Zoom window small. So at least people's faces are little and they're not so overwhelming. Shasta left us a voicemail. Hi, this is Shasta from Colorado. There was a woman on your recent episode, It's Not Your Fault, that had asked if anyone's experienced alcoholism while being pregnant. It's been a long road through recovery for both of us with counseling. And I'm in Alaron. He used to go to AA, does not anymore. He's been to rehab. And I honestly don't know if he's sober or not sober right now, but we have a lot of good days. So I take it one day at a time. And if I don't know, then I guess God doesn't want me to know right now. But 
our son is going to be two in December. During my pregnancy, I had a lot of feelings, emotions, crying, because I knew how hard it was to be with my husband and to figure out this new life and figure out coping skills when I was not pregnant and with all the added hormones, it was even harder. And I would just cry because I didn't know how I was going. I knew how hard it was the first time. I didn't know how I was going to do it if he was actively doing having his addiction while we had a baby. How could I raise him by myself? How could I um, be a single parent while still being married, essentially? And so I had a lot of fears like that really crippled me sometimes. It was really rough. I talked to my sponsor, and one thing she told me was, drop the what if. We can what if and what if and what if all day. What if that doesn't happen? And then we wasted all her time. I also will, what if my son turns into an alcoholic? How am I going to talk to him about alcoholism? How am I going to talk to him about addiction? Another thing besides stop what ifing because you don't know what's going to happen and you're just driving yourself bananas is one day at a time. So maybe my son will be an alcoholic. But he's not right now, one day at a time. He's a precious one-and-a-half-year-old, and we love our time together. My husband is amazing right now. He's not, as far as I know, in the throes of his addiction. He's way kinder. He cares about other people, and those are not things he did when he was active before. Live in the moment, one day at a time. Stop what ifing, and that is advice that helped me in my experience. So good luck and I wish the best for you and everyone else who's experiencing this. Bye. Thank you, Shasta, for sharing that experience, strength and hope. For many things where I have not had that experience, I rely on people like you, Shasta, to uh, to share your experience and I hope that speaks to anybody who is in this position and struggling with it. Diane sent us an email. Hi, Spencer. Thank you for your endurance with your shows. You shared you've been finding it difficult to do weekly shows. Please know, as a listener, whenever, if ever, you do a show, many are blessed. I say if ever to remind you of the 300 plus you have done and how life-changing with encouragement, strength, and hope they are today. You've recorded them, and they are so easy for us all to benefit from today and every day. Rest and take care of yourself. This is Spencer. Just thank you for those encouraging words, Diane. Thank you. She continues, I just listened again to number 339, It's Not Your Fault. So much. Episode 340, Married to an Alcoholic Minister. Again, wow. We are all so guilty of not seeing what is there and adding truckloads of pain to people like Barbara Kay, sending them into deeper hiding, isolation, pain, despair, and shame. They are the crazy one. I know this to be true. My heart hurt for her and so many like her. Thanks for the reminder. This episode is an eye-opener. 
In one of your recent episodes, not sure which one as I've listened to so many, there was something mentioned from kids' perspective. It made me think of something I shared with a person recently about my experience as a little kid with divorced parents. This person has full-time care of two girls. They visit their parent extremely sick. I'm 66 now. My parents divorced when I was about two. Mom had full custody of three girls, dad alcoholic, a mean, verbally abusive SOB on a good day. I hated my dad. Our time with him was every other weekend, always filled with yelling, rage, chaos, breaking things. Every time I'd leave my dad's, I'd cry. Why? I hated him. I've come to realize there is a transition time, almost a debriefing a child goes through. I had no idea what or why. Cry. I'd even feel guilt for crying. It hurt my mom. She never said anything. I think she thought it was at her, not wanting to come home. Wrong. My mom was doing the best she could because of the family disease. Of course, this behavior was stuffed, never talked about. Coping skill, surviving seed, planting grew and grew. Thank you again for blessing us all for the lifeline. You've made an eternal difference for the betterment of this world and in many lives. May God bless you and your family. Diane. Thanks, Diane. Thanks for sharing that pain, that child, the pain of that child. Again, maybe that will touch somebody who's listening. Maybe it touched you as you're listening to realize that you were not alone, that others have had your experience as well. Thanks. Kathy called with a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. It's Kathy O. from Southern California. I just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed listening to the program throughout this pandemic. And it has really been such a good addition to the Zoom meetings that I go to. And I hear things a little differently now because so much of my recovery is not in person. Um, time to time I'll meet with a, a sponsee or my sponsor, but not very often. So I just wanted to say, please keep up the good work. I was so taken by your episode on Not Your Fault. I think that I had, I've heard certainly that before, and I knew growing up in an alcoholic home that I didn't cause it, I can't control it or cure it. But somehow listening to all the shares and the topic itself really spoke to my heart, and I realized there are many things while growing up that I carried guilt for that I had nothing to do with just by living in the dysfunction of alcoholism as a child to my parents argued I would think I could have gotten better grades or prevented it when my brothers got involved in drugs I felt maybe I could have helped by telling my mother when they were using or coming home late when my sister started letting her boyfriend sneak into our bedroom that we shared, I thought, oh gosh, if she gets pregnant, it's going to be my fault. All of these things came to my mind as I was listening to this, and I hadn't thought of them for a long time. And person down when I did an inventory, but I never really understood how that whole concept of blame and fault and guilt that wasn't mine to carry I was caring as a child and still been through my adult life so often I felt 
even if things didn't affect me directly, that somehow I could have prevented it or I was at fault for it. So it was really good to hear that topic and to be able to relate to a lot of the reading and the sharing. And I just thank you over and over again for all the work you do. And I hope that other people can call in and share their experience, strength, and hope because it is just a lifeline for me, especially, like I said, since there aren't person-to-person meetings anymore in my area that I go to. So, thank you so much. Oh, boy. So much in there. So much feeling that anything that happens to anybody that I might have been able to do something about makes it my fault. I've spoken before about the experience I had when my girlfriend in college came back from a vacation and told me that she had been date-raped, although we didn't use that term back then in the early 70s, and I felt responsible for it. I didn't feel so much that it was my fault, but I felt responsible for helping her try to deal with it to maybe fix whatever consequences might come. I don't remember whether I expressed that feeling, but I definitely felt it. And and I was not qualified as a college freshman to do that, but I felt like it was my responsibility. So much learnings, so many learnings. Catherine wrote, Hi there, I love your show and have been listening to it for probably about a year, so please excuse me if there's already an episode regarding the following topic. I think it would be great to hear a perspective from people that feel like they are losing something that once bonded them to their spouse. I drank with my husband responsibly for a very long time. We've been together over 10 years and shared two beautiful children and a life together. I'm leaving out the difficult times, of course. He has been struggling with the disease of alcoholism for many years, and it got much worse when we had children. So for the past seven years, we have been struggling greatly. I don't want to leave my husband, so I am in recovery and so incredibly grateful to be here. However, I will say that there is a small part of myself, one I feel I'm not supposed to bring up in an Al-Anon meeting, and that is that I miss having a drink with my husband, going to an adult outing, or bringing a bottle of wine to a vacation, etc. This feels like a loss to me, that we can't participate in many of the things we used to enjoy doing as a couple with our community. I hate it that alcohol is so prevalent, but sometimes I wish he could drink like me or others and have a good time responsibly with it. It seems like we have been living in this struggle, and I wish sometimes that he could be normal and drink normally. I feel that it is selfish to have these thoughts and feelings, but it is there, and I can't seem to shake it. Hoping maybe I'm not the only one who has had these thoughts. Thank you so much for your service to this amazing community. Hope to hear from you soon. Be well, Catherine. Been there, Catherine. Definitely been there. Might suggest episode episode 112. It's titled, Do You Drink? And uh, speaks to some of my experience around that question. And what'd you say here? Feel they're losing something that once bonded them to their spouse. So I mean, we weren't exactly wine snobs, but we definitely, one of the things that we did together was some wine tasting. Once she started drinking really alcoholically and her drink of choice was wine, that just went away. Even at that time, I couldn't enjoy it. And even now, when I do drink, I very rarely drink wine because it just, it brings up all these negative feelings. 
So yeah, that is something that we had that bonded us that is not there anymore and just totally connects to what you say. For the longest time, we more or less isolated because she did not want to go to social events with alcohol. And there are so many social events with alcohol, as you say. And that also was a problem. And yeah, it is something that I think I have struggled with that I, to some extent, still struggle with. And I guess that gets back to this learning that we don't have to do everything together. We can do the things that we enjoy doing together. We can go to a museum. We can go to a movie. We can go out for dinner with ourselves or with friends who understand and that we can each have things that we do separately. And I, it definitely helps that she is in recovery now, for sure. So thanks for writing. Thanks for sharing that because you're right. It's not something we talk about in meetings. It's not something that I was ever comfortable talking about in a meeting. I might talk about it with a friend after a meeting. And it took me a while to decide to record that episode, 112, Do You Drink? The last song that I picked here, and there are more songs in a Spotify playlist that will be in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 343 on our website. This one is Billy Bragg with Nobody Knows Nothing Anymore. (laughs) I just love the title. Here's some lyrics. Deep down in the underground, atoms spinning round and round, scientists monitor readings, searching for the holy grail, the particle, or at least the tail, of the one who gives the universe its meaning. But what if there's nothing, no big answer to find? What if we're just passing through time? Nobody knows nothing anymore. Nobody really knows the score. Nobody knows anything. Let's break it down and start again. And I picked this because, although it, it sounds a little negative, nobody knows nothing, I feel like that is an essence of how we work in, in this program. That all we know is our own experience. All we can share is our own experience. We don't know the Holy Grail, the tale of the one who gives the universe meaning. We don't have big answers. We have little answers, but those little answers can be just what somebody else needs. Your little answer can be just what I need. And so I think in that sense, it's wonderful that nobody knows nothing but we can share what has happened. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.